It is an honor and a privilege. Uh, Pastor Ananea would um, allow me to have this opportunity to preach to you. Um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself, my wife. Not a whole lot. I don't want to bore you. Um, we did celebrate 30 years of marriage last week, and we're thankful yeah, for that. Uh, I got saved back in 1989 in Southern California in Hesperia. Uh, grew up uh, preteen years in New York. Didn't know the Lord, but came to know him. Uh, early in life, thank the Lord, my wife got saved uh, from Mona, Ontario. She was born somewhere in Southern California. I always ask her, where at? There, I got it right the first time. From Mona, about the age of 12, I've, I've known her probably since I was about the age of 12 when we moved into the area, Southern California, and uh, uh, God brought us together. And ever since I got saved in 1989, we've served the Lord, moved to the Central Valley. I worked in the Department of Corrections for California with some of the vilest people in the world, so I know what sin is very clearly, not only in my own life, but what it can do to others, and uh, served 24 years there, um, retiring last year. In the course of that, our pastor had a Bible institute that uh, Brother uh, Rusty was in it with me while he was down there, but from 2004 to 2008, I graduated through that, uh, through those four years of courses, and uh, we've waited uh, for retirement to see where God would open the doors for us. We've uh, helped where interning pastors were in, in the wings as they were uh, waiting to fill pulpits. We've done that. We've been recently working a lot out of Atascadero, California, serving in their pulpit ministry. Uh, they should be, by the time we get back, placing a pastor. If not, we have another service down there. It's about 15 minutes from the beautiful coast of California, so we get out of the Central Valley as much as we can um, in waiting to see where God will open the door. We're praying maybe Oklahoma. Uh, if God opens that door, if not, we'll keep serving where we're at. Um, I've been a deacon there for almost the 28 years that we've been uh, members of our church, and we, we're thankful for Pastor Thomas King. Um, he just got his uh, first grandbaby here a couple of days ago, and he's out of state, so we'll be filling, filling the pulpit a little bit when we get home. Uh, but we're, we are thankful, and uh, we're very thankful for uh, Brother Rusty and Pam. They are our best friends, inviting us to come and stay here, and uh, some of the other folks that we've had the uh, chance to meet here, and uh, Brother McCoy has just been a huge blessing getting to meet him, and uh, not just for the fishing, but the fellowship that we had. This is a good man of God, and I'm thankful. I'm, I'm the better for knowing him, and uh, it, it's a privilege. Uh, Rusty's helped my prayer life. Our first day here, taking us out in the country and said, this is a good place to dump bodies. I prayed immediately. Uh, <laughs> I said, I don't know where you're taking us, but uh, I started praying, so he got me closer to God right out of the gate. We did an archaeological find in his house. He had an elliptical he didn't know he had. I put that to use. As you can see, he does not use it. He doesn't. He does not use it. You know, we're trying to let him know how that works. He's kind of scared of it. Won't enter the room. Um, he knows where the kitchen is, but he won't go into that exercise room. So, um, but in all, yeah, we have had a wonderful time. We will be going to catch can with uh, them tomorrow for a couple of days before we head back. And you know, if God allows us to come back up, depending on how the planning is, we'd love to see where your church is in a year from now. Uh, but you keep us in prayer, and that's just a little bit about us. I don't want to bore you with that any longer, so if you would, turn to Acts chapter 27 tonight. Um, we'll spend the majority of the scripture uh, in that. If you title your messages, I know that you do to some extent because they asked me what we were preaching on tonight. It's going to be called Avoidable Storms. Avoidable Storms. In Acts 27, and I won't read it for its entirety, but I will refer to portions of it as we go through, but you're dealing with Paul being sent down to Rome, and he's going to be placed upon a ship, dealing with a centurion here, and some other people that will play into this. But 
Um, I want to open real quick with prayer just to have God uh, lead us in this. So if you would, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be in the pulpit tonight, Lord. I don't take it lightly. I thank you for every opportunity that you give me, Lord. I pray now, Lord, that you would put me aside. Don't let my flesh have any uh, uh, victory in this, Lord, just that you would be seen and nothing of me. I thank you so much, Lord, for all you do in our lives. I pray tonight, Lord, if there anybody here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come forward and speak to me or or Pastor Anania, Lord, or any of the men in the church that would know, or the ladies, Lord, that they would come to know you before it's eternally too late. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in Acts 27, what we're dealing with here is a storm that's going to arise in the lives of the folks here. And I want to kind of liken that to how our life is. Now, storms are going to come and go in all our lives. And it doesn't matter if you're saved or if you're unsaved. We all face these things in our life. And we have counselors in our life. We have counselors. In Proverbs 11:14, it says that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And God's plan is for us to seek counsel in our lives. Noah, uh, you know, the, and you're probably familiar with this. You guys do some boating out here in vessels. They look for storms. They, their purpose is to prevent and to save lives. They don't want people needlessly putting themselves in danger. But what's interesting is, if you ever watch in the Gulf states where they have hurricanes and stuff, you'll see these people do these things that are called hurricane parties. And in the face of danger, they kind of just thumb at it, and instead of taking the counsel of organizations that are there to protect them, they say, hey, let's just have a party and do what we want. And countless times you see these things play out. And then they come back, and these people, if they were spared their lives by the grace of God, they say, I don't know why I did that. I wish I'd never had done it. And those are the lucky ones. There's the others that they said, we tried to tell them to leave, but they wanted to stay and have a good time, and they lost their life. Mm-hmm. Happens time and time again. Christians face the same thing. We're warned, and we do our own program. We're going to kind of di- dissect that a little tonight, but one of the things we want to do and point is, point number one would be developing storms and how to recognize those. Well, they begin in calm waters. You just don't have a storm come out of nowhere. We went out on the boat a couple of times this week, Brother Rick here and, uh, and, and Rusty, and we wanted to go out a couple of times during the week, but Rusty would look on the maps, and he'd talk to Rick, and they'd say, hey, you know what, brother? I don't think this is a good day to go out. It's going to be kind of choppy out there. I don't know if it's worth the risk to go out there and have to deal with this and that, because you never know. What were they doing? They were looking ahead and recognizing things. Now, did I understand these things? No. I looked outside. It looks good to me. Let's go fish. I, I, don't, I don't see any you know, turbulence, but I don't understand what they understand. I just want to go fishing. You know, I go fishing where I go fishing. I don't have to worry about that. I just go fishing. But out here, it's different. And you have to look at the wisdom of those that have that. And so we want to look for those things. In verse 7 and 8, uh, in your text there, it says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sindias, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against uh, Salmon, and hardly passing it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. So, they were, the wind was not suffering. They, they, they were looking for signs, and the centurion who was in charge of this, he doesn't understand all this. He's going to look for direction. He's going to look for direction. So there are two types of counsel in the world. If you look at verses 9 through 11, it says, Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said of them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be of hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. You have the centurion with a decision to make. 
He's listening to the world, the captain of the ship. Let me give you, this is really earth-shattering, but when you ask for wisdom from a worldly person, you're going to get worldly advice. We're going to go about our daily businesses in the world, and we're going to have people that we meet, that we befriend, that are in the world. Now, look, you can't say don't associate with the world, because how are we going to reach the lost? That's our mission field. But you don't want to take the advice from the world. What do you think they're going to give you? What's best for me? That's their attitude. It's about me. The centurion in this choice is going to believe the owner of the ship. In verse 11, it says, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship. He could have listened to Paul. Paul would represent your heavenly admonishment. He's telling them, if you continue, in verse 10, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. You see, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship, but Paul was in touch with the master and the owner of the sea. Big difference. A big difference. The world is always looking out for itself. The world's advice looks sure. In verse 13, it says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had attained their purpose, loose thence, they sailed close by Crete. The world's advice looks good for a moment. The Bible even tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. It looks good. It looks good. But the problem is, is that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, found in Jeremiah 17. He moved on the advice of the world. Number three, the result of the decision, verse 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euclidon. That would be like a nor'easter, very violent and very turbulent. And it says not long after. You see, the consequences of our actions are always pending, and they're coming. You cannot sin and get away with it. You sit there, and they, and they think everything was fine, but they become helpless. In verse 15 through 18, and when the ship was caught and could bear, bear up, uh, excuse me, and could no, not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. And we being seemingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lighted the ship. So they got into a helpless feeling. When we go out and do things on our own without heavenly counsel, we get to that point that we feel helpless in the storm. We start to think, what have I done? You see, we want our own way. We want to do things without any kind of guidance because it feels good. We want it. This is what we want. No, pastor, don't tell me. I know what's best. No, don't go to the people that are elders in the church that know better. Don't go to the people that have trod this road before you. I'm going to do it differently because the results are going to be different. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. They don't turn out different. The Bible is very clear when we make our decisions where they're going to end. Are you going to, are you going to counsel correctly or not? But in this, understand this. In verse 37, it tells you something here. It says, and we're... And we're we were in all the ship, 200, threescore, and 16 souls. You see, when you go your own way, you're taking somebody with you. You are taking people with you. Let me ask you this, man. 
leaders of the home. You get upset because of the preaching and the teaching of the word of God in the pulpit. And now your little feelings are hurt. Now you're going to pack up and run somewhere else where you can get your conscience eased and you can get that feel-good little sissy message that doesn't make you a man of God. You're going to take your family out? Oh, I'm offended. I'm going to leave. Do you understand what you're doing to your children? Do you understand what you're doing to the next generation? Do you understand what you're... When you get older and God gives you the ability to have the grandchildren in your life and because you got offended and you pulled your children out that may be saved and now you're in your deathbed and you're looking back and your grandchildren are out in the world, well, who do you have to blame for that? Because you didn't want to get godly counsel and you wanted to pack up your bags when it got a little bit of tough. Understand this. When we go out on counsel with the world and we don't take godly counsel, instead of being offended, let, the, let God prick your heart and say, hey, you know what? There's something wrong in my life and we change those things and get right with God, you're going to preserve your heritage of your family behind you. If you don't, you're going to lose them. I think it was Billy Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, he had preached, and uh, a lady came up to him after the service and said, you know what, your message rubs me the wrong way. Billy Sunday said, the message that rubbed the cat the wrong way will rub the cat the right way if the cat just turns around. Amen? Amen. You got to learn, listen, when it's convicting, don't come after the man of God. When it's convicting, that's God telling you, you know what, something is wrong with your life. You need to fix that. Don't get mad at the man of God. Despair in the storm, verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. All hope. There was no stars, no sun, no anything. Sometimes Christians in our deepest despair, we want to blame God and ask him where he is. You know, you put yourself there. God was there the whole time. You know, you want to blame him for the storm, but who is the one that forsook the godly counsel? You know, and then what happens? You become discouraged. One of the greatest tools that Lucifer likes to use against Christianity is discouragement. You understand, for those of you that have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you understand that that's a done deal. Just like not being able to be born it again. We were talking about that this morning. Once you're born, you're born. You can't unbirth, you can't unbirth a fly. When you're born into the family of God, the Bible tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews 13.5. You're part of the family of God. But what he uses, Lucifer, is discouragement. Because once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're sealed under the day of redemption, as it talks about in Ephesians, nothing changes that. But when he can derail you, Lucifer, you become of no use for Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ. How many loved ones, how many people that you know that need to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior? But if you allow discouragement to creep into your life, how useful are you? All he has left is to make you of no use to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he can get you on the sidelines, your impact has no, no value for the Lord. You can do nothing for him. You're, you're put on the sideline, and you're second string, and you're not getting on the field. You have to stay aware of that because discouragement is very real. Paul breaks a silence in verse 21 through 24. But after a long uh, abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. 
saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So Paul reiterates what God's counsel that could have saved them the harm. Do you seek or do you reject godly counsel? What do you do with your life? Do you actively, look, decisions are going to come in your life routinely. Are you afraid to ask your pastor because you know what he's going to tell you? What are you afraid of? So what if he tells you no? When I started working in the Department of Corrections at 26 years old, it's a corrupter in the way of families. I've, I've seen many people. I knew many people that were, that were divorced before I got in there. And, and, and a lot of it had to do because men would stay away and work, 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 work. Now, this can happen anywhere. Some of you guys are minors here. I don't know what the, your schedules are and what overtime is. And, and there's guys that fish and everything else. But look, some of it's forced, I understand, but a lot of it is self-inflicted. I could have worked as much as 10 overtimes a month and then recycled. You got officers doing 20, 25 overtimes a month. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to be made. I told my pastor when I took the job, I went to him and I said, look, you know, God has opened these doors and we had prayed. And a lot of people say, how can you work in that environment? I can't tell you how many officers were led to the Lord because of God placing me there. High suicide rates, very, very violent place. But I told my pastor, I said, when I take this job, I am giving you veto power in my life if you see me putting my job ahead of my God or my family. You tell me no, and I'll listen to you. You have that open-door policy to me. If you see that in my life, you give me the veto. You have that power. Can you do that? Can you go to a counselor and say, look, I'm giving you power in my life to tell me no if it's going to hurt me? Or are you too afraid to go to these people because you know they're not going to give Everybody wants to go and hear the answers they want to hear. And they got their go-to people because they know they're going to give them what they want. But can you go to the people that are going to tell you the truth? Can you go to godly counsel? A lot of people won't do that. So he breaks his silence and he tells them, you know, this all could have happened, you know, could have been avoided. Christ, although, and Paul was in the midst of this storm with them. Christ is also in our darkest storms with us. Hebrews 13.5, as I mentioned. Also, in Hebrews 2.10, he is the captain of our salvation. Paul reiterates that these uh, choices could have saved them this. So we need to seek that out. In verse 22 through 25, he goes on to say, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for no loss of any man's uh, among you but of the ship. And he goes on to tell you that everybody will be delivered. No lives lost. There's reassurance in despair. God is empowered to save and to keep us, even the most fiercest storm. You're going to go through your storms. They're unavoidable, but God is faithful to us. In verse 20 and 7, 27 and 28, it says here, But when the fourteenth night was come, and we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that we were near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when we had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. In the midst of this storm, hope is given. Some country was out there. Listen, in the midst of our storm, you have a heavenly country. No matter what happens in this earth, you have a heavenly home. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, no matter how dark the storms get here, no matter how violent they blow, no matter how bad the things get, you lose your health, you lose your wealth, you lose a loved one, you have a heavenly home. That's promised to us of salvation. I go to prepare a place for you. No matter how dark it is, we always have that. Verse 29 and 30 says here, 
Then fearing lest we should fall upon the rocks, they cast, four, uh, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they had, uh, we would have cast anchors out of the, sh- uh, the foreship. Almost, <coughs> uh, or excuse me, amidst the storm, after pleading for help, they turn again to their own way. If you look at what happens here in 29 and 30, fearing lest we should fall upon the rest, they cast forth, they wished for the day, and shipmen were about to flee out of the ship. Now listen, they were just told by Paul, we're all going to be delivered. But immediately, even after hearing this, they went right back to doing their own thing. You know, Exodus 32, 8 talks about how the children of Israel turned on God immediately when they got out. Quickly, we always go back. And you know, Christ will allow you to do that. He gives us a way in the midst of our storm, and as soon as we start to see that there's an escape, we're done with them. We want to go back to our own way. And you know, God is a gentleman. God, look, there's a throne in your life. You have a throne room in your life that you sit on or God's going to sit on. It's up to you. He's a gentleman. He's not going to, look, if he's, if he's running your life and you want that seat, you don't have to nudge him. He'll get up and gladly give it to you. But just the same, he'll give it right back. Either way, God can be in control of your life or you're going to be in control of your life. We have to understand <clears throat> that when we ask for that help, we need to listen. He reiterates in verse 31, Paul says, Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Our safety is with God. In the middle of that storm, that safety is through him. Don't go to your plan B. In verse 32, they finally understand that. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let them fall off. They finally get it. They get out of their plan uh, B attitude and allow God to have control. Sometimes we pray for God, but we always have our backup plan ready. They prayed for God in the storm, and God was giving them passage to some country to get out of that storm, but immediately they wanted to fall back on a plan B, just in case God can't deliver me. Look, he either can deliver you or he can't. And they understood when Paul said, if you get out of this ship, you're going to have destruction. When God's directing your life, he knows where he's directing you to. You don't need a plan B. In the midst of the storm, in verse 36, they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. You can have good cheer in your storm. You know, you don't have to come to church and tell everybody that your world's falling apart with the sad and the gloom. You have heaven. Look, if you've got to fake it till you make it, when you come here, fake it till you make it. I'm not telling you to lie to people, but don't come in with the poor me attitude. You've got heaven. And everybody here knows you've got heaven if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't come here with the poor me attitude. Jesus Christ went to a cross for you. He didn't have a poor me attitude. He went willingly. We come with those burdens, and we keep looking forward to the cross. Come in good cheer. Don't worry. The Lord carries all of us through that. The outcome in the aftermath as we finish up here, verse 44, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. In verse 44, it says, the broken pieces. You know, when we come through the storms, you're going to get some scars. Jesus Christ has his scars that he went to the cross with. You're going to see those one day. But understand this, the storms are going to give you 
some scars, some on broken pieces. There's a lot of people in here that have weathered some serious storms in their life. And don't, listen, young folks, don't knock the people ahead of you that have experienced the storms of life that want to save you the despair of the storm. Rehoboam uh, did not want to listen to counsel of the old men in his life when he was coming to become king. He listened to the young people that had no experience. And he paid for it when all the tribes left him except for the two. There's wisdom in counsel. Finally, in verse 44, it says, and it came to pass. All storms have an ending, and usually there's beautiful sunrises behind them. The sky is clear, and the brilliance of the sun shines through. At the end of every storm, the sun will shine through. Jesus Christ. He will carry you through the storms. This all hinges, though, on the storms that we face. Look, there are some that are unavoidable. And God allows storms in our life. Some are for chastisement. Some are self-inflicted. Some are just to gauge where we are to forge us. They're not arbitrary. It's not that God's sitting up there with nothing to do. Let me just give them something to do. When we go through storms, you have to ask yourself, is this something that I caused by my actions, or is God trying to teach me something? And you, as a child of God, should understand the difference between chastisement and something that God is trying to refine you with. You know in your heart of hearts when it's chastisement. Your children know when you discipline them what they're getting it for. If you're a good parent, you're letting them know. God will let you know. Sometimes a storm is a trial that just try your faith. Let you, look, God knows where you are, but he has to expose yourself to know where you are. You sometimes don't know. You haven't arrived. God lets us know where we're at. But it all starts when we come into these storms. We seek counsel. Remember, are you going to look, as you enter these storms, are you going to look to a godly influence in your life? Men of God that are around you, that have wisdom, your pastor, aged men in the church that have walked with God, ladies that have walked with him, are you going to look to the world and you're going to seek their advice? Because all their ways are going to end up in heartache. The world looks out for itself. The Bible says it hated him without a cause. It's going to hate you. They don't understand why you do the things that you do. They look at you as an oddity, and rightfully so. I don't want to look like the world. The Bible says it would be transformed. I want to emanate Christ out of my life. The way you do that is through good, godly counsel. 